You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red as Nottingham Forest Carabao Cup dream appears to be effectively over after that 3-0 first leg defeat to Manchester United last night. There's certainly plenty of negatives to discuss, but also a good number of positives considering the scoreline. So joining me to address all of that, first of all, is Chief Football Writer of the iPaper and Reds fan Daniel Storey. Good morning, mate. How are you? Um, well, thanks, you. Yes, not too bad, considering the scoreline last night, not too bad. And also returning to the podcast is Greg Mitchell. Greg, morning, you well? Yeah, I thought I'd be on wearing my Wembley bucket hat, talking about booking <laughs> the hotel, but it's on hold for now. I was going to say, you still can do that if you can, <laughs> if you can reclaim your deposit. Yeah, you'll, you'll be all right. Um, well, just kick us off, Daniel. Um I mean, obviously, I think we probably agree the tie's over. But what was your thoughts overall on the evening, the occasion, and, and just how it unfolded? I think probably it was a sort of reinforcement of of everything we knew about Forest this season. In that there were periods of the game where, particularly on the counter attack, Brennan and, and Morgan Gibbs White were causing some of the best defensive and defensive midfield players in the league problems. I thought Gibbs White against Casemiro was a genuine contest, which is exceptional for him. Um, But at both ends of the pitch, both converting those kind of good positions into clear-cut chances and obviously the pace of the the two centre-backs has been a problem all season and continues to be a problem. And if you look at our performances against the best teams this season, you know, Newcastle, Arsenal, Man City and Man United, we've conceded quite a few goals and we haven't scored one yet. And Although it felt a bit unlucky, the scoreline, over that period of time, luck evens itself out and Forrest have been wanting in all those games. Yeah, I mean, I came away from it feeling kind of downbeaten, uh, disappointed in the short term, but optimistic about a lot of the long-term aspects, which we'll probably get into. What about you, Greg? How how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I was full of hope, obviously, but it's leagues within leagues with teams like Man United, isn't it? And they've managed to get themselves into that top tier of the Premier League. And it showed last night we can we could play so well for long periods of the game, but the killer instinct they've got when they can sniff a weakness, it just goes through and they score. So, And it, it's happened, like you say, at Arsenal and Man City. So I'm not too disappointed. Obviously gutted about how the, the result was, but there's so, much, there's so much joy in that team. There's so much hope in it that, that I am, I'm still positive, of course I am. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to look at and a lot to be to be proud of, even even though the scoreline don't show it. I suppose um, the last thing you want in a game like that, with the atmosphere really peaked and high, is to start the game terribly. And of course, that's what Forrest did. They got away with one where <clears throat> Joe Worrell had that poor touch, and then the first goal. If you just said to me, Marcus Rash was going to pick the ball up in his own half, beat two players, and smash it in then I think you've seen a wonder goal. And in, in a way, you have. But I suppose, Daniel, Forrest were very much, you know, played a big part in their own downfall there. What was your assessment of it around Hennessy, Worrell and Freuler? Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was slightly surprised by the central midfield. Um, with Scar- I, I think Scarper is clearly a talent. I'm not sure he's a central midfielder in a midfield three. Um, and alongside Danilo, who's obviously making his first start, it's pretty clear Cooper's trying to kind of toughen him up for league football. Um, but we did look quite open in that midfield. And I think what happened is what often has happened over the last couple of games, which is Serge Aurier was quite high at the pitch, which meant Remo had to come out to that right-hand side to try and cover. And then you've got two 
pretty slow players caught slightly out of position in that Remo is over and Joe Worrell's pulled out of central defence and Rashford is too good and in too good form to to make mistakes in those situations. It looked really clumsy, didn't it? It looked like two players were kind of looking the wrong way when Rashford was running at them, didn't really know where the ball was and Hennessy gets beaten at that near post and I don't think Wayne Henderson is a bad goalkeeper by any means, but you can see the difference in the shot stopping between him and, and Dean. There's no doubt about that. There's a reason that they are one and two in the positions they are. His distribution is pretty good, probably better than Henderson's. Everything else, Henderson's by far the better goalkeeper. So if we break those players down, starting with Worrell, Greg, he got a ton of flack on Twitter last night um, saying he's not good enough for the Premier League. And I suppose to me, that's an open debate. I mean, I think he's good when it's in front of him and it's a proper, you know, old school centre-half head it and kick it. And I think he's good on the ball, but he's got a real problem. Like a lot of centre-halves, if you get him one-on-one with a quick winger, he's a bit of a rabbit in headlights. And that's that's a long-term problem for him, isn't it? Yeah. And for me, again, in the part of the league, the teams around us where we're having to be, he's having good games. When he plays against those teams, he's having good games. But the truly world-class players like Rashford, yeah, maybe, I think they did maybe show our weaknesses a bit more and he's going to learn from me. <laughs> you can't really train for a bit more pace, so that's the problem, isn't it? Um, I think a lot of this, the flack was unwarranted and almost lazy from us lot, to be honest, from the fans. But, um, yeah, it, it didn't look great, that goal, and you'd hope we are looking to strengthen in, in areas like that. Not, not to replace Warrell, just to you know, have some competition and the games where we do need a pacier centre-back, you know, get one in and I'm sure they're looking at it. What's your take on Joe as a Premier League player and McKenna? Um, do you think both either of them are good enough long-term? I think they're good enough in a certain system. I think the move to four-three-three really helped them because there was this sort of misguided notion that playing three centre-backs makes you more defensive. But it didn't really because the guys on the outside had to kind of cover the full-back positions. And when slow defenders get pulled out of position, that's when they really struggle. The 4-3-3 helps because they can concentrate on defending against those weaker sides. I think the problem comes when a full-back, and it's normally Aurier on the right, pushes up high because then Joe almost does have to play the role he was playing in the back three. And it doesn't suit him. It really doesn't when you've got really quick wingers running at him. So in a, in a, in a formation and in a system that works, I get it. it would, and I think probably with Nico on the right, I suspect Joe would maybe be more happy with that. Or when we're playing the three workman-like midfielders, because then two of those can offer help to the fullbacks. One of them can drop in, protect Joe a little bit. I think he's a decent defender. I don't mean he's not... He's not a Man United level. We're a promoted club. We've got to accept that. We, we, the, there's a reason we've been beaten by better teams this season, and that's because they're better than us. But he's not a he's not a defender to write off by any means. And I just hope that in a few months' time, we're not still thinking that Musa Niakati injury is that the kind of game changing moment? Was that the season defining moment for Forrest? Because all the reports say he's a, a real Rolls Royce defender, and I hope he's back soon. Mm, agree, agree. I mean, I was saying, on Aurier, I don't know what's happened to him the last couple of games. He'd been so good. I thought he was poor against Bournemouth. And it was like the charge of the light brigade last night. I mean, you know, he was shooting up the other end of the pitch and leaving behind him the most informed player in the country, in Europe, arguably, in Rashford. I thought Forrest should have been doubling up on him with Aurier and Warhol or Freud getting right on top of him. And then Aurier's disappearing. So that's something that certainly needs addressing because he can't leave Rashford that kind of space. I thought 
when Forrest approached the start of the game, it was a bit ropey in general. The, the midfield balance, Greg, didn't feel quite right. And Cooper had to tweak it quite early, didn't he, with Freuler and Danilo and Scarpa and the way they were playing. Yeah, and it, I mean, God, that first five minutes, what a dampener to the whole occasion, the atmosphere, everything. Um, but they did sort it out. We had that spell. We had that 30, 40-minute spell where we looked absolutely brewing. And Danilo, Scarpa, what I love about Scarpa, if there's a ball not to be played, he'll look 40 yards up the pitch and ping one beautifully. So, yeah, defensively, that might they might not be the midfield to defend against teams like Man United. But the outlets some of them can have. And Danilo's first game at home, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> I can't help but still see positives from last night. The scoreline didn't show it, but the teams around us, they're, they're going to be fearful of our squad and our team at the minute. I think on Monday's episode, Temp said that there's going to be, he saw a period of midfield flux now where they work out what the balance is and the best lineup. And I, I think we, we probably saw that. Like you say, I thought Danilo was really, really good for an hour or 45 minutes, certainly. Um, do we think we missed Ryan Yates, Daniel? I mean, obviously his health is prior, takes for all primacy, but did they need someone to just be nasty in midfield? Yeah, they do. Uh, they need someone to, to to really get amongst it. Remo Froilu and Danilo can, I think, can can be parts of Ryan's game, but I'm not sure they can replicate all of all of it. And I'm not sure they want to. I'm not sure that is their game. So yeah, that kind of sitting, that real sitting midfielder, just to mop up and just to. You know, even if, if it takes him going out wide to fight a fire, if it takes him dropping in deep because there's a defender out of position, Ryan knows that team better than anyone. And that does, yeah, that gives Forrest an advantage. Um, I did think, I thought Danilo was good. He's clearly a little bit kind of raw at the moment and that's completely understandable. He's had a long time without football and he's he's very young. He doesn't strike me, I have to say, as a as a Steve Cooper defensive midfielder. But I think he could become a kind of progressive midfielder, winning the ball a bit higher at the pitch when we've got that protection behind him. And the reality is we didn't have that protection last night. I think you need a... If, if Scarpa and Danilo are going to be in the same team, I think it probably takes Scarpa to be slightly higher up the pitch and then someone to release Danilo a little bit in midfield. Yeah, I think you need Freuler. I'm not sure what Freuler's role was last night. I think they need to define what it's going to be if they're going to play that three. To me, props needs to sit deeper alongside Danilo if you're going to have Scarpa in there because Danilo like you say he's not a typical defensive midfielder that we see at the lower end of the Premier League necessarily he, he wins the ball quite high up I think Tim Tim Vickery on here said he was quite lithe and athletic which we saw but he's also not the most physical yeah he's someone who's going to nip in and win the ball so there's going to be a period of adaptation certainly um next thing that happened in the game like we say I thought Forrest recovered really well the the disallowed goal for Surridge such a shame uh, people hate VAR, Dan, but I mean, if you're offside and the current parameters of the game, you're offside no matter which end of the pitch you are. You are, and it, it was slightly sloppy, I have to say. I mean, it was a brilliant finish, and I really feel for Sam because if he scores that goal, it, it potentially kind of kickstarts his season again after the goal at, at Bournemouth as well. But he had to keep himself onside there. Gibbs White had obviously, maybe he might think that, that Morgan released the ball slightly late, but the move felt pretty perfect other than being you know, inches offside. But he didn't need to be. He was he had far too much space because what you saw in that move and you saw all through last night is that teams are scared of Morgan Gibbs White. When he runs at them, it takes two defenders. He, he doesn't just bring one player towards him, he brings two. And that's the space that Surridge enjoyed. 
just had to keep himself on side because everything else about that goal was exactly what Cooper wants. It was perfect. It was soak up some pressure, one pass from Danilo through to Gibbs White. He drives, plays a striker, first time finish. That's what Cooper all, all he wants. And yeah, I mean, it was it was inches away from being perfect, but inches a mile, I suppose. Mm. Have you got VAR rage, Greg, or have you calmed down about it? No, it's, it's just getting worse every single game. <laughs> Um, the, the Bournemouth game, you know, the first goal celebrated like mad, like you always do, and disallowed. It wasn't even thinking VAR. When we actually scored and the VAR screen came up for our allowed goal, I walked, I just went to the loo. I thought, I can't handle this anymore. Didn't celebrate the goal. Heard the cheer when I was downstairs and I thought, it saps the life out of the game. Why in this day and age can the technology not be instant? You know, put a chip in the boot and in the shirt or something and on the ball. It's simple. The technology's out there. I don't know whether they're trying to cut corners or it's just pathetic that no linesman was giving that offside. Lines person, sorry, was giving that offside in, in real time. And it just saps the enjoyment out of it. It's a spectator sport at the end of the day. And without the spectators, the game isn't there. And it's just destroying it for us. It was horrible. It really, you know, an occasion like that when you think we've finally got something back and it was just three, four years ago, you're not even considering offside. You know, the analysis after the game, if those lines weren't there, the guys in the studio wouldn't even be thinking, oh, that goal was offside. It was perfectly in line. So, yeah, just just had enough of it. The, the technology has to change and it has to change quicker than, you know, in a few years. Do it now. The technology's out there. Just use it. Even mm. as a, even you know, whether as a fan or working at, at, at Premier League games, you, know, you used to have that inbuilt. You know, I'm a pessimist, so every time Forrest scored, I would look over to the assistant referee yeah. and check that the flag had gone up. And when it hadn't, you were like, fine. And maybe one in a hundred, there might be some weird thing where the referee went and had a chat, and so for some reason, a goal got disallowed. But basically, you knew you had maybe a one second delay, and then you could celebrate. Whereas now. Yeah, you are. You are kind of hardwired. And it's a gradual thing. It's not every goal you stop celebrating, but eventually you will guard yourself against it. Especially like Greg says, in those games where you've got one that's already been disallowed, you are scared to make yourself look stupid because there's nothing worse than a home ground giving it that kind of way cheer because you've celebrated a goal that isn't a goal. And you're right, because I did make myself look stupid. (laughs) (laughs) At Bournemouth, when Yates scores, you look in the crowd and there's me doing a stupid swimming sign. And then, of course, it gets disallowed and you think, oh, God. But, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It has to change. It has to change soon or they're going to ruin it. They are. They're just going to ruin the game. I know. I'm in a WhatsApp group and there was... Well, everyone's in WhatsApp group these days. There's a Man United fan in it, and as soon as Rashford scored, he put that's one Rashford, and as soon as Surridge scored, I put that's one Surridge. Uh, but I was being very pleased myself, and then 30 seconds later, yeah, it's all it's all in the bin. I mean, VAR. I suppose the other the big gripe I have it with it is more the still the subjective nature down around more penalty appeals and what's a handball and stuff like that. There's so much yeah. to still resolve about it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the reality is we, you know maybe present company accepted but fans have to take responsibility because this 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 big this was born out of um a refereeing abuse crisis because we we were accusing referees of being worse than they'd ever been rightly or wrongly and because some supporters players managers couldn't accept bad decisions or mistakes and you know you look at the game last night and Sam Surridge makes a mistake to be offside Joe Worrell makes a mistake 
to get done for a goal. Steve Cooper maybe thinks he makes mistakes picking a team and a referee might make a mistake. And they're all, to me, they're all level. It doesn't mean that we have to change how we pick teams or change what we do to defenders or change how we officiate the game. We just get on with it. And yeah, that's where it was born out of. And I, I mean, I hate it. I always have and I always will because it, however many times they told us that it wouldn't be about re-refereeing the game, it would just be about kind of getting rid of these blunders, you know, the Thierry on Rehan ball and the ghost goals. It isn't about that. It is about re-refereeing the game because of course it is. It's, it's everything, like you say, it's every penalty decision. It's, it's now you've got players trying to kick the ball at a defender's hand so they can peel for a penalty. Or, you know, they know that if they fool the referee to get a decision, it's not likely to be overturned because they'll stick. It's just, that's not football for me. Mm. Um, one of the things I wrote in my notes, I thought Michael Oliver had a good game. Well, we, if we're critical of refs, we should praise them as well. I mean, part of that was Forrest was a bit soft and could have done with, you know, putting a putting a glove on as someone in midfield. But overall, I thought he had a good game, so I thought we should point that out. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think we had a yellow card, did we? I think no, that was unheard of. Just call yeah. for a yellow card. <laughs> yeah, mm. I just think uh, you know it could have been a bit bit tougher on him. You know, roughed him up a little bit more. Maybe that's something that will. We'll get at next time. Well, the one player who did get about them, I thought our most effective midfielder in a sense was was Gibbs White. The way he, he nicked the ball off Casemiro more than once, not in a nasty put him on his ass way, but I mean he gave him as uh, you know to me perhaps the world's best defensive midfielder. He gave him the toughest game he's had for a long time, Greg, didn't he? Yeah, he was just brilliant. And you know if if Gibbs White is injured, you know when he went off, he he looked upset. I don't mean to like make it sound, but he looked upset and the whole crowd was. And, you know, all these Wolves fans that were saying, oh, they've had a pants down with the money. How much money would it cost in January to replace Gibbs White with a like-for-like player? You know, I, I don't think I'm mad in saying, you're looking at like 60, 70 million pounds at the minute to get that kind of quality player that we've got in, in, in him now. And I'm just got every single thing crossed that it's a short-term knock and it is... I think you say Cooper said it was just like a knock on the shin or something. And God, I hope it is because he has been the outstanding player of this season so far. I just love him. He's, he's possibly like the best player I've seen in a Forest shirt in my lifetime. He's that good. I mean, he's super talented, isn't he? The good thing about building an attack around him is it gives him a platform to be the player he can be. The bad thing about building an attack around him is when he's missing, it, it's a big hole, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And the thing is, what he is, is that and what Forrest have lacked because these players cost him a lot of money is he's 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 multifunctional. He's not just a, an attacking midfielder. You know, Brennan Johnson is brilliant, but he is he is an attacking wide forward. He has faults in his game and he would be perfectly admit that he's got things he needs to work on. Um, Ryan Yates is a, an effective defensive midfielder, but and, and he can go up for set pieces, but he's he's effectively a a single function football. And that's not a criticism. It's just a description. Gibbs White can do everything. You know, you could play him as a central midfielder and you'd lose the best bits of him, but he could do it. You could play him out wide on the left and he could do that as well. We've played him as a kind of false nine central striker and he's happy to do that. And he can play as this number 10, which is not just a creative, which what people think of number 10. It's, he's, he's there because it means he can he can try and do everything. He can work back and win the ball. He can then drive forward. He can play passes. He can take corners. He, yeah, he is. I, I mean, certainly since, I think he's the, the, the most talented Forest player I've seen since, probably since Van Hooydonk, I think in terms of natural talent. And he's still young. So, yeah, we've got a gem there. I just hope that, um, you know, he sticks with us as long as we stick with him. Come what? 
come what literally come what may because um yeah he's a he's a tremendous footballer we spent a lot of money last summer on a lot of players but we didn't get anyone more right than him i think at the start of the show there i said feeling positive about the future and for me i thought we saw the future greg in danilo scarpa gibbs white johnson that kind of attacking axis makes me feel really optimistic if you can find that extra piece of the jigsaw that's the number nine whether that's sorry to one year would someone else there's a lot of hope for the future there yeah and i mean if gibbs white is missing the next game or two you've got scarper on the set pieces now you know the corners he could take he could whip them in as as good as uh gibbs white did that shot scarper had i thought it was <laughs> going to break the guy's hand it was unbelievable if that hit the net well, like goal of the season but we do have that that flair now you know that gibbs and what gibbs white does and what scarper now does is creates an outlet for Johnson and he's like brilliant pace to, to get behind the defenders and you know the counter-attacking play that we've set up for now players like Scarpa are just born for it the the only issue with the the two Brazilians in the middle at the minute is the I know it's only two games for Danilo so a bit harsh but they only seem to be able to do 60 minutes at the minute and that'll just be a, a fitness thing that should hopefully come true true I'll come back to the football in a minute someone in the comments has written uh, I've got the flu and it's worse than I feel. I'm not even ill. I feel fine. Hopefully it's just my lighting. But yeah, Prutz was really ill on Monday and it took him 24 hours to confirm he was still alive. But no, I'm fine. Thanks for telling me I look like shit. Thanks <laughs> um, to the football. Um, I mean, it's with Scarpa, Dan, do you think it's, is it just a case, obviously build up the match fitness, but is it a case of define what his role in this team is going to be because it can't be the Gibbs White role. We've got to find a niche for him uh, to get the best out of him and Johnson around him and Danilo. It's still moving parts, isn't it? It is, and there's a there's a benefit to moving parts if you if you want to be this kind of fluid, free form attack that generally works with a team that has quite a lot of the ball to try and kind of surprise an opponent. Forrester are generally trying to do the opposite. They consider, I think, rightly that the the best weapons on the counter attack, and therefore you do you do generally need to be a bit more organised in midfield, and a bit and the counter attacks you make they need to be a bit more planned. You saw the the goals against Leicester are a perfect example. It wasn't just that Forest countered; is that everyone seemed to know exactly where the next pass was and and how they were going to execute the move, and and that that's hard to do when you're bringing in players. There is a benefit to bringing in those players if they've got the talent, but yeah, you're right. We have to work out what these players' roles are because I think there are a number of players in that team who could play two or three different positions and the reality is is they probably need three or four games in one position to get right and yet this is that league where you know with the games we've got coming up there aren't many second chances we are going to have to probably beat Leeds at home we are we're probably going to have to beat Wolves at home when that comes these are huge games that they need to you know we need to have that set by then and and the flip side to that is the tough games away from home. It's quite easy to lose faith when you see your side losing two or three nil, but it doesn't mean the side's bad. It just means that, you know, the teams we're playing are better than us. They've got deeper squads. They've got more resources. Yeah, there's that thing on Twitter, which Mikey put in our WhatsApp group, Greg. You've probably seen it as well, Dan. The fixture list with home away, home away yeah. against who we've got to play. It actually scared me more than anything. Yeah. Like, there's three, four really big home <coughs> games. And then there's home games against all the big clubs where you say, oh, a point's a good result there. And then the away games are against that bracket of mid-table clubs, where you probably say an away point's good there. So for me, 17th, and I think I tied up 37 points, hopefully, or something like that. 
I mean, I'd still love to get 17th, but it, I know, Greg, you're booking your Europa League tour, you know, brochure and everything, aren't <laughs> you still? Well, that was relying on us winning at Wembley, so we'll have to see how <laughs> and next, next week goes. But Leeds is just huge. Again, it's the next biggest game of the season. And we're in better form than they are, and we're a lot more positive than them and their fans are at the minute. You know, we we seem to be like as one at the minute with with Cooper and the fans, and they're certainly not. You know, we get some players back for Leeds. This is over a week now. We've thankfully now looking back, we've got a free weekend this weekend, and uh, that's going to help hugely. And who knows who could be coming back? Who knows whose fitness is just around the corner? I'm I'm surprised. Henderson's still here if it's a long-term injury. So I think that gives me some hope that he hasn't gone back to Man U. Uh, so who knows if he's going to be playing or not. That'd be huge for us. Uh, but yeah, Leeds is by far the biggest game of the season now. And three points against them in their position. It's a clear six-pointer, that is. And it'd just be unbelievable. And it'd really make us start thinking we're going to be all right. Um, you've led us nicely into goalkeepers there, Greg. As we've discussed... Actually, all three goals, just on them individually, Dan, do you think Hennessy's at fault for all three, one, two, none? I don't think he's a goalkeeper who makes, unless you watch the World Cup, makes howling howling bad decisions. Um, I think he's a goalkeeper who has a level, a performance level, and that performance level has been pretty obvious throughout his career. You know, he's been at, at Palace for a long time. He's been at Burnley. Um, he's a kind of workmanlike goalkeeper. He doesn't tend to make extraordinarily good saves and I think that's probably true of all the goals last night none of them are mistakes but I'd back Dean to save at least one of them I'd back him to maybe guard his front post I'd back him to push that Anthony shot away from goal not straight out of goal and and by the way again it was a good finish you have to say um and the third one it's not right you know I was right behind it it's not right in the corner it's Yes, everyone's a bit deflated by that point and he's probably the same and he, they're all just kind of waiting to get off the pitch. But yeah, he, he just doesn't seem to make brilliant saves. I think his distribution's pretty good. I, I wouldn't be buying a new goalkeeper if Dean Henderson was ours, but we don't know if Dean Henderson's ours. So let's work on the basis that he isn't. Let's work on the basis, the worst case scenario, we only get seven or eight more games of Dean Henderson. At that point, it, it becomes a no-brainer if there's a goalkeeper who you've targeted and is a long-term option, then why wouldn't you go for it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, personally, I thought, you always ask yourself, like you say, would Dean Henderson have done better with those goals? And I actually think he would for all three, to be honest. So that is a problem. <clears throat> the question again is, how long is Dean Henderson out for? And can we have him next season? And you get the impression the answer's no. He won't, probably won't be here next season if Forrest are looking. So... Would you be going out to sign a keeper now, Greg, even if it's a bit harsh on Henderson? Um, if we have no plans to keep him, I'd sign a keeper. But where's Dean Henderson going to go next year? Because he's not going to be playing for Man United. I feel like he's burnt his bridges there. So maybe it's him who we're going to sign. <laughs> I'd love to sign Henderson. I think he's a brilliant keeper. But yeah, if we do go for the one of these two others we're linked with, then I think that's a clear sign that, that yeah, he's not going to be ours, is he? So... I think what, I'd just wait and see with that one. I really don't know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look through the Premier League, you know, the guys just won the World Cups playing for Aston Villa. No offence to them. You know, there's really good goalies like Sanchez and Raya who are playing for mid-table teams. It's a pretty obvious thing to say. There's only one goalkeeper spot in each team. So, yeah. and Henderson 
could do a lot worse than signing for Forest, but it just depends on the long term and the finances. I mean, there isn't much as we like to think there can't be an endless pot of money around this. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. What else do you think? I mean, we're coming to the transfer deadline, Dan. What else do you think they need, if anything, in the next few days? I think they probably will buy a, a centre-back. Um, Leocarte has been out for so long now that there's going to have to be some doubts about how quickly he can, you know, as with Danilo and Scarpa, how quickly he can play 90 minutes. And, and with defenders, you're always loathe to start them if you think they're only going to have 60 minutes because it can kind of disrupt the team quite a lot when you're trying to defend out a game. Willie Bolly's been far better than, you know, hold my hands up, he's been far better than I thought he would be. Um, so the, he he's clearly an option, but they they probably, I'm sure, want one more. Just, I suppose, someone with Premier League experience um, who can kind of play that volley role of, you know, at least he knows what he's doing and he can organise the people around him. If it was someone with pace, great, but now you're looking at, you know, specifics and there's a, a week left in a transfer window and it's not that easy. And um, there are a lot of players in Forest squad. And, you know, I know for a fact that some of the players that they look at are worried about playing every week because that's, that's what they want to do. So it isn't as easy as we think, as, although Forest have made it very easy to buy players, make, make it look very easy to buy players in January for someone that's going to strengthen the first team. It's not easy. So I think probably a central defender and maybe a goalkeeper, but I think they've probably probably done the striker thing last night. One thing I, I did want to mention is like, I mean, if we didn't know it already, Emmanuel Dennis is is his time is done as a Forest player, isn't it? Because it, I can't remember a, a kind of expensive and in inverted commas signing that's that's tailed off so quickly as him. Um, but we just haven't seen anything. There was that pass last night where he got it on the wing and kind of just sort of shanked it into central midfield to a Manchester United player, and you felt like the whole City ground just sort of deflate as if to say, "Yeah, we've we've kind of had our time with you now." Yeah, you wanted to. I mean, I sent the notes out, Greg, and I hadn't mentioned Dennis, and you put, "Can I talk about Dennis?" So I guess it's not going to be a positive viewpoint. What, what do you want to say about him? Yeah, it's not like me. I don't really like to slate our own players, but I, he's had so many chances now, and I don't know what it is. He just doesn't seem bothered. And I, I don't know if that's harsh. And the thing I keep thinking back to is at Christmas when he was watching Watford and he put the Watford goal on TV. To me, that was him saying that's my team. And I was hoping they were going to come in for him and take him off hands on loan or something because it hasn't worked and I can't see it working. I'd love to be proven wrong and I'd absolutely hold my hands up. But last night, again, just it just seemed like he, he didn't show he was bothered. And I know it's easy to look at and it's a bit stupid to say you watch, you watch the bench cam and you see the, the players so invested in the game and he always seems to be the one just sat back and not really interested. So... If he is the the one, you know, the one bad one out of these twenty three that we signed, then so be it. There is, it is going to be that. But I'd like to see him moved on if he's not going to feature, because I just don't think he'll be bringing anything to the squad at the minute. And last night kind of kind of showed it. Hmm. I was surprised when he came on. I thought, like Dan said, I thought we kind of done with him. I had zero expectation when he came on. I think we've seen the pattern is that he's a talented player, but he's so frustrating. I mean, he's got so frustrating that it's like, this is a butchered phrase. He's got so frustrating, I've stopped being frustrated by it. Like, he just gives the ball away. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that's what he does. One time he's going to ping one in from 30 yards and we'll think, you know, he's great, but just haven't seen enough of that. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask, actually, someone mentioned in the comments, Greg, this is your kind of area. 
people left quite early, uh, uh, quite a lot after the third, what, maybe the third goal or late in the game. We haven't seen that all season. Yeah, I, it, it, it was disheartening. I'm glad you've, you've mentioned that. It's up to anyone if they want to leave. That's absolutely fine. But what I will say is there's so many fans that haven't been able to go to an away game this season who have desperately tried to get tickets for every game. So, do you know, if now you've decided you're not bothered about next Wednesday, make sure that ticket goes to a proper fan, a Forest fan as well. Because I was in the pub before the game, speaking to someone, and she said that it was a, a first away game she's managed to get a ticket for on Wednesday, and they can't wait. I mean, I'm taking my nephews up there. It's still going to be an occasion. It's not often you get to go to Old Trafford. So, yeah, if you've been to them all this season, that's fantastic. And if you're not bothered now... Just make sure it goes to someone who hasn't been able to go because there's plenty of them out there. Mm. People in the comment section saying Dennis is a confidence player and it looks short. I mean, maybe, maybe that's fair to be, you know, but it feels like it's right to move on and give both parties an opportunity to progress, you know, with him not in Nottingham perhaps. But, you know, good luck to him if he does go. Um, let's look at the second leg then. A few people in my WhatsApp group, for, uh, again, Dan, are saying Boris Lee should play a weakened team now and write this off. That feels pretty hazardous in a sense, but then you can sort of see the logic behind it if the tie's dead. Where, where are you on thoughts on the second leg? I'm, I'm not sure that Forest really have such thing as a, a weakened team anymore. And as we've said, they're trying to work out so many different things for the second half of the season now. What I do think is you should probably use it to do that. If that's playing Scarpa in the Gibbs-Wright role, because... You want to see if that's going to work and gives White's out injured all for it. If that's playing Sam Surridge as a central striker to look for that, maybe just try some. I think you probably should try something different, work on another plan B. Um, because yeah, I, I think you know, I'd like to be positive, but we're at the tie. You know, Manchester United are, are very good at home at the moment. We don't just need to win, but we need to thrash them, and that's probably almost certainly not going to happen. So, yeah. Get minutes in the legs of others. Give Nico, for example, a game at right back and see how he works with a central defender. Just try some new things. I don't see it as weakening the team and picking a reserve eleven. That's probably what we we did at Blackpool, if we're honest. I don't think we'll do that, but we should try and work on some things that you know. If in ten games time Cooper says, "Well, we tried that at Man United. It made me try it against Leeds at home, and it turned a, a draw into a win," then that can keep Forest in the Premier League. So. It's it's all worth it. They're all valuable minutes at this stage. Yeah, I mean the Carabao Cup tie against Spurs kind of unearthed uh, a few nice things like the Warrell Bolly partnership that's done well for us. So yeah, I'd be on board with that. I mean, like ninety minutes for Lingard, Greg, that kind of thing. Would you be on board? Yeah, with? yeah, definitely. And like you say, we don't really have that that weakened squad. I think Nico needs minutes definitely. You know, he came on and there was a mistake there, wasn't there? And uh, I think it's good for players like him as well because he'll get a lot of stick at Old Trafford. <laughs> a nice 90 minutes for him. And yeah, Lingard's fitness, he's looking more promising, isn't it? On the bench last night and, you know, he looks active and Spurs was the game, like you say, where Lingard really came out and shone and showed what he could be about. Then the obviously injury at Old Trafford kind of dampened that one. So, yeah, I, I'm not so sure a weakened side. I'd protect Gibbs-White if he is close to fitness because uh, for Leeds, he could absolutely control that game if he wants to. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Still going to be a good day. What's your view on Lingard, Dan? You haven't been on all this season. Uh, he's been written off outside of Nottingham quite a lot. What have you made of him? I mean, the reality is is that we signed Morgan Gibbs-White, who has been a, 
a better player in in a very similar role, and we're not a, a team with, that plays expansively enough to justify two uh, of those style of attacking midfielders. Quite frankly, if we're going to play a four three three, then I don't think Lingard's one of the three the way we play. And if we're going to play a four three three, he's not really suited to any of the other roles. So it's been really hard for him. Um, I'm impressed with how he's kind of he seems to have you know. Greg mentioned bench cam earlier. He does seem to have kind of bought into the the spirit of things. He isn't kind of on the periphery. Even when he was injured, he didn't seem that he was kind of away from the rest of the squad or stalking. And there's none of that, which is great because that could easily have happened by now. We're, we're in late January and his contract expires in May. Um, so we need players like him in the fight for relegation. If Gibbs White's out for three or four weeks, then Jesse Lingard has to be made to feel like this is your time to step up. And this is your time to kind of propel Forrest further up the Premier League and take them away, firmly away from danger. And he's definitely good enough to do that. Um, but yeah, I do feel, I mean, I feel a little bit sad for him because I was really excited when he signed. And I think he was as well. And I think he really saw this as a chance to kind of push on back to the England squad. And that's clearly not happened and probably won't happen now. So yeah, I just hope he has. We give him, and he gives us a really good last few months because it, it doesn't feel like anyone's given up faith in him. I know there are a few groans and stuff when he when he loses the ball, but it feels like they're kind of in inverted commas proper Forest fans get it. They get what he's trying to do, and they get that he, he wants to be here. Oh, yeah, I think the fans are with him very much. Um, what about longer term? Then you say it gives us a good few months. Do you think there's he's going to move on in the summer? Yeah, I suspect so. Um, I think. It worked to have him for a year. It worked for him. It worked for us. I think if if Forest stay up, then we will try and build around Gibbs White. We'll undoubtedly try and buy some more players in the summer, but we will try and build around Gibbs White. And I think if we go down, then Lingard would would probably want a, a top flight move anyway. So I think there's probably a natural break. But he's one of those players that even though he's only here for eight nine months, if he comes back next season, whatever happens between nine now and May, he'll get a good reception because I think whatever we've seen on the pitch, he. He's shown enough that he wanted to be here. And maybe some people would say that's a bare minimum when you're getting paid quite a lot of money. But it, it's about more than the money. He does seem like he gets it. What about you, Greg? I don't think we've discussed... That was, it was a question on our live show, actually, but I think Mikey gave a long, a long answer to it. What about you for beyond this season? I'd, I'd love to see him back. I think he's good for the team. I think he's good for the for the club, for the you know the global brand of Forest. He's such a big big name player, you know, he'll sell shirts and he's a good player. I'd, I'd love to see him back at Forest next season. Uh, you never know with players with injuries and stuff. He, he is the perfect guy for that midfield for us when on form and he just started to show it before his injury. So, some would say just our luck. But yeah, if he has a strong end to the season, which I'm sure he will have, uh, I'd love him to be the player that signed for Forest because if he does, then we're certainly in the Premier League next season, aren't we? Because he's obviously not going to drop down to the Championship. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a pro Lingard player, definitely. Just on the second leg, um, with regards to the scoreline, I mean, if Forrest get battered 3-0, 4-0 again, is that a, a big concern that it rolls in? Do they need to come out of this great game with a draw or a performance, Dan? Where do you stand on that? No, I don't think so. I think one thing they have proven after the Leicester game, this after Leicester away game this season, is that Cooper is is very, very good, better than most Premier League managers at managing to kind of pull the players out of the kind of chaos and, and mania. And let's face it, there's been a lot of that at Forest during his time at the club and before. And kind of 
get everyone focused on moving that result aside and on to the next game. But they already know. We've said it here and they know. They know Leeds is massive. They know it's more massive now because the tie's effectively over. So, of course, they won't want to get battered. There's, there's no doubt. And they'll want to, you know, one of the benefits of, of, of rotating the team is that you get players fully energised on impressing because they want to play against Leeds the next, in four days' time. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I don't think Forrest will win the game, but I don't think if Forrest lost 3 0 next week, I don't think that's a, a huge problem. Cooper, the players, the fans, we all know which games are going to decide Forrest staying up in the Premier League. And Man United away in the league wasn't it. And so Man United in the cup is certainly not it. No, true. And do you think, Greg, that Cooper would have, I think he might have learned some lessons from last night around which players can do what? I don't mean which players are good enough for this level, but which players can do certain roles within games like Danilo, like Freuler. Where Scarpa is, he should. I hope he's taken stuff from that game, even in defeat, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Well, he's such a, a clever manager, isn't he? And a, a modern manager that sees so much more than I certainly would. Um, and it's just tough because usually when we have a big loss, we come back and, and we do something. So it's almost a shame that the next game again is Man United. Uh, but I'm sure if if next week. You know, you, you get a battling draw or, you know, a narrow defeat or even a win. Uh, we'll take whatever happens next week and, and learn from it in, into the Leeds game. And I'm sure he's already planning and thinking about Leeds. Even if we'd have won last night, Leeds would have been in his mind. Since that comment, I look like hell. I keep having to mute my mic to cough. I don't know if it's good <laughs> yeah. me or not. I did, I did want to say, but I didn't want to just add to the... Uh... No, I know. To the panic. It me. Yeah, it spooks me a bit. It me a bit. Right, uh, I think that's covered almost all the ground. Uh, any other business, Greg? I thought I was going to see if it was going to be Dennis, but is there anything else you want to add? Yeah, it's beat the streets this weekend, so it'll be the last time I talk about it, I promise. I even had a band message me. So uh, <laughs> they're playing at 8 o'clock at Bodega on Sunday night called Board Marsh. Great name. Uh, it's just going to be such a good day. Great charity. So many brilliant bands playing. So no football this weekend. If you're stuck for something to do, then we'll all be there. Head down to beat the streets because it'll be a great day and it's just for a great cause. I know people are happy to see you on this podcast today. I messaged you on Monday. I know they're your mates, but people saying, I'm not watching the podcast. Mates is a bit strong. <laughs> What are their names? What are their real names? Give them a shout. Steve, Matt Taylor. They're the two worst at it. Yeah, Matt not Taylor's very nice to me. Today. No, yeah, there he is. I'm sure he is. I think it comes from a place of love, so don't worry. <laughs> Dan, any other business before we let you go? No, not for me. I'm a rare Saturday, Sunday off this weekend because I'm a FA Cup Friday and Monday nights. So um, going to the going to the dark side on Monday night. I'm afraid. Oh, no. Derby West Ham. Ah, well, it's nice then to play a big club. I mean, we should have asked in the sunlight <laughs> of them going wild. They were beating Port Vale 2 1 or something. Yeah, they were bouncing, weren't they? Yeah, very, very cute. I know, I know. But if Forrest, you know, were back in the dark days, we'd have done the same. But enjoy it while the boots yeah. may Who's the Friday night game? Uh, uh, Man City Arsenal. So. Ah, okay. I yeah. assume that's on TV. Yeah, Derby. Yeah, Derby West Ham is, which is uh, slightly more surprising. But yeah, West Ham or I mean, Robin Shipperfield. This was a regular gripe of his. West Ham always get TV games. They must be good for viewings. I don't know, but yeah. Oh well, enjoy your trip to the dark side. Mikel Antonio will score. That's the main thing. Would either? This is a quick one. Would either of you want Mikel Antonio back? There was a bit of a Twitter campaign. Yes, for both. 
Yes, I it seems to be the talk is Antonio and everyone's saying this and Spence. And I've got to be honest, if we sign both of them tomorrow, I'd be delighted. Yeah. Yeah. I think Antonio is my, my concern is the injury record because we're pretty good at doing that to players this season without them already bringing their baggage with them. But in terms of replacing that, our knee out from the left physical coming into the area to kind of bully defenders, he's, He's basically the perfect Premier League equivalent, I think, that within Forest's kind of ballpark. So, yeah, I would have him back. I'm, I'm not sure it happens. I think it would take West Ham to need to sign another player because now Danny Ings is injured and they've just signed him. But, um, yeah, I'd take him back. Yeah, I, I, I would. Like you say, the injury record's a bit worrying. He, he kind of blows hot and cold, but I think West Ham has spent two years flogging him to death and it's taken its toll. And now West Ham have changed the way they play. And, I saw Antonio himself said it's not working. So I think he'd probably welcome the chance to get out. But they've got Skamaka and they've got Ings and I think they're both crops. So it probably won't happen. Spence looks like he's going on loan and he's been linked with a few clubs. I mean, Aurier's yeah, last two performances have worried me. But what about, we've we've asked everyone on this, but not you, Dan. A return for Spence or not? I think I'd, take, I'd be more up for a return for Spence, weirdly, in the summer if we stay up on a permanent deal than I would on loan for the rest of this season. Uh, just because I think, you know, we have got two right-backs. I think there are other priorities in the squad. And I think he's also, he'd be brilliant with having a full pre-season under Cooper and learning kind of exactly what's needed because in the Championship, he really could fly forward. And I think he would be good at that. At maybe a, a club like Palace, they're linked. I hope he doesn't go to Leicester, obviously. But yeah, I think, I think weirdly, I, I'd be more happy with Spence coming in the summer on a permanent deal rather than another loan. Yeah, I mean, we spent 10 minutes saying Joe Worrell needs a fullback alongside him who can't fly to the <laughs> end of the pitch because he'll get murdered. So if you bring Spence and he does the same, it's kind of a square one, so back square one. So he'd have to evolve his game quickly. And there's obviously question marks in Antonio, uh, Conte's mind about if he can actually defend. So, yeah, it's an interesting debate. Right, uh, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for all the comments, apart from the one who said I look like crap. But no, that's fine. I'm joking. Uh, very much appreciated. If you enjoy, do like and subscribe. Give us a good review, all that stuff. It all helps very much. Greg, thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. Good to speak to you, Daniel, and get well soon, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Cheers, mate. Thank you. We'll be back uh, certainly on Thursday uh, to review the second leg, whatever happens, and perhaps on Monday or Tuesday around the deadline day. That's all to be confirmed. So in the meantime, have a good weekend, everyone, and we shall see you soon. <laughs>